Welcome. I'm your host, Roger Tucker. I'm a native of Newark, New Jersey, and each week I'll be interviewing artists, historians, authors, and other cultural thought leaders to discuss the cultural impact and influence that Newark has had and continues to have on their lives and work. Today, I will be interviewing the internationally famous artist, Willie Cole, in his studio. Willie Cole is a noted contemporary American sculptor, printer, conceptual, and visual artist. Cole is best known for assembling and transforming ordinary domestic and used objects, such as irons, ironing boards, high-heeled shoes, hair dryers, bicycle parts, and other discarded appliances and hardware into imaginative and powerful works of art. Mining his own African-American heritage, Cole creates work that celebrates African art and culture. Willie's artwork is found in numerous private and public collections and museums around the world, including the Museum of Modern Art, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, and the Newark Museum of Art. Willie, thank you for joining us here at uh, What's Newark Got to Do With It? The question that I'll be asking you and other future uh, folks whose creativity has been shaped by Newark is um, specifically, how has Newark shaped your creativity, past and present? Um, Newark was a perfect place for an assemblage artist back in the 80s because there were so many abandoned buildings around. Those buildings became like art supply stores for myself and many other artists that I knew at the time. That wouldn't have happened in the suburbs. So uh, did you live in Newark um, during, this, during the 80s? Yes, I, I lived in Newark. I returned to Newark. I returned to Newark in the 70s after being a fellow at the University of uh, Delaware in the theater department. And I remained in Newark up until like 1993. Okay, so, so when you said it was like an assemblage, the abandoned buildings were still, were, were there certain wards in Newark? Like, were you in the North Ward or the Central Ward? Or it really didn't matter? Uh, it didn't matter where the buildings were located at that time, but my studio was in the ironbound section of Newark. And the iron, in fact, the building I lived in was pretty much abandoned. Oh. They rented me a space in the building, mm -hmm. but there were several other businesses that had gone out of business so just empty factories with all the equipment still in them, in this building, and then me as an artist. Right. And I lived there for, for many years before other artists moved into the building. So I had it, had it all to myself. Uh, down the street, though, there was a factory that I had seen as a kid from my window in the projects. So I was drawn to that building because I had great memories of seeing the, um, the logo of the building light up at night when I was a kid. What was the logo? Do you remember? Uh, it, it was the Conan Zipper Factory. So the, the logo was a soldier, a soldier kind of like the, uh, the British guards with a tall hat on. And the zip would go from his ankles 
up to his chin and back down all night long, like a light. Wow. I lived on Quitman Street in the projects, Scudder Home Projects on the 13th floor. And I could see this from my window, my bedroom window every night. And as a kid, I thought it was another country, but as an adult, I lived in that neighborhood and I was able to discover it. Wow. But really my assemblages uh, were really fed by that building, got a lot of stuff out of that building. Wow. So can you, you can trace some of your pieces to that building. Uh, are any of those pieces like in the North collection or the Montclair Art Museum collection to you? No, at that time I was showing in Chicago at the Peter Miller Gallery. Mm-hmm. So he sold a lot of those pieces to his group of collectors. But as far as I'm aware, they're not in New Jersey or New York area. Right. Great. So it was, uh, I remember um, hearing um, other artists who talked about like, the idea of, again, uh, if you were using assemblage as a, as a practice, that the, the city was a great, was a hotbed. It was, you know, again, it was abandoned. Yeah. Right. So... So how was there a period when you they were stopping you possibly from taking things from buildings? Oh, never, never. Uh, I don't know definitively what the politics were in that in Newark around that time around building and occupancy and all those things. But the zipper factory uh, was a huge building. And a lot of homeless people were living or at least camping in that building. Mm-hmm. So it was just open doors. Wow. Now, I have to tell you quite honestly, I would go there sometime uh, and I would take my son with me for the adventure. And as soon as we got into the lot of the building, police would come like in cars and we would duck behind a dumpster. They would just circle around. I think it's because of homelessness. Right. Was occupying the building, and maybe there had been some other issues. So we would just hide behind a dumpster. They would circle the lot and go out, and then we'd go into the building. Did, did any of those, those um, you know, adventures or experiences um, create in you an, a, a, a way of wanting to create something around that experience, for instance, of, of gather, gathering? The pieces? Well, you know, we made, I worked with an artist named Ujima Majid, an artist from Newark. Mm-hmm. And we actually made a video of us going through the building on a couple of occasions. Uh, he accuses me of still having a videotape. I accuse him of still having a videotape. I don't know where it is. <laughs> it showed us, you know, scavenging in the building. Wow. So you guys were doing uh, an Instagram live before Instagram, huh? Oh, yeah. We were. We were archaeological ethnographic Dadaists, and this was our dig site. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome, awesome. Okay, one of the other um, uh, answers that you you shared with me was this idea of Newark being a hotbed of creativity in the 60s and 70s. Yes, yes. I think it has to do with the national movement towards consciousness and pride for people of African descent. Um, I have said in some of my talks before that I came into the world colored, then I became a Negro, then I became uh, Afro-American, then I became Black, and now I'm an African-American. So that journey in my life was fueled by the arts. 
because Amir Baraka was in Newark. Wow. And that to me, just as a kid anyway, opened up the doors for so much creativity. That got me interested in theater and writing and painting and everything else and dance. And that was all in the 60s. Wow. <laughs> you know, and I guess, uh, I mean, I, I left that scene after I got out of high school, 72, but, uh, you know, probably I would say from 67 to 72, Baraka's movement affected the entire city. Like I lived in the Weekway section, and there was a, another brother named Lukman, I forget his last name or, or his organization, but he was giving classes in Black history at some storefront on Bergen Street. Wow. I, would go, I would go there when I was in middle school to listen to him talk about these things, you know. So this was like, was this like a storefront or was it in his apartment or? Storefront. Storefront. It's a storefront on, on Bergen Street. Wow. So it, it was literally the University of the Street. It literally was. It was like, it was like a, a reflection of Harlem right in Newark. Mm-hmm. Because in Harlem, I took a lot of courses at the Tree of Life bookstore before it was, uh, I don't know if it was torn down or converted, but that was the place you know, for me in Harlem in the 80s. But in the 70s, it was all in Newark at uh, Baraka's, not even at his place, just in his vibration. Absolutely. I didn't, I didn't hang out at Sea Fund, Committee for Unified Newark. I didn't hang out at the Spirit House, but I knew about them both. And I walked by them every day. I walked by the Committee for Unified Newark every day. And I remember uh, the boot dancers coming to Arts High to perform for us. And I remember I wanted to join so bad, but I was so shy that I couldn't imagine myself on stage watching people watching me dance, you know. <laughs> well, well, you know, it's interesting you mentioned this idea of performance, uh, yeah. Willie, because, uh, you know, we both went to arts high school. Mm-hmm. the first visual and performing arts high school in the country. I'm sure. And the idea of performance, music was performance, dance was performance, theater was performance. But I've always felt, and I'm sure you feel the same way, that the visual arts is a performance that is captured on canvas. It may be captured in sculpture. And it's actually a performance that we get to take, or, or a collector gets to take away with them. Right, right. The residue of the performance, yes. Well, it, it's it's that conversation the artist is having with himself or with the materials. It's true. And you get, like a trophy, you get to take that performance home with you. It's very true. That's a good title for my next exhibition, The Trophy Show. The Trophy Show. Okay. <laughs> it was right here. What's not, what's Nort got to do with it? Great. Right. <laughs> Uh, Willie, you've mentioned that you're interested in theater, dance, and music. You also talked about your interest in fashion. When did that start? My interest in fashion started in uh, high school. I guess that that means like 1968. And it it was fueled in a lot of ways by just the changing in styles. You know, we were all suddenly wearing, wanting to wear dashikis, and you couldn't find them in stores. (laughs) Right. So I became friends with this guy who was a great, he wasn't a fashion designer then, because we were kids, but we thought of him as that. 
because he knew how to sew. And he made me dashikis. He and I became good friends. Our friendship was based on the fact that in gym class, when uh, Mr. Lang would throw out the basketballs to the tough guys and tell them to pick teams, I would never get picked. And this guy who sold never get picked. <laughs> so we became friends. Okay. And uh, that's, that's how it started, really. So I started doing uh, fashion illustration because I love watercolors. And it just kind of grew from there to, uh, I think the combination for me at that time was my high school prom where I uh, made my graduation. I made my suit for the prom with the help of my girlfriend. She had the sewing machine. Wow, great. So we, we bought a simplicity pattern and redesigned it, and we made a nice three-piece suit. Amazing, amazing. Well, um, that's a great segue to uh, my next question. You're currently working on a fashion collaboration with an iconic fashion designer. Can you tell us about that collaboration? Yes, uh, I am working on a project. It's almost like an all-year project with Kome uh, de Gasson. The designer is Rhea Kawakubo. And she ran across my work uh, in a magazine. I never asked her which magazine it was. But she's like cutting edge. She's so avant-garde that that she is both the avant and the guard, you know. <laughs> and um, she has collab collaborated with artists in the past for the runway shows and also for some of the actual products. So my work with her was to design, initially it started out designing uh, headpieces for the models to wear. She pretty much had her idea for the clothing um, but once I made, started making headpieces, then she suddenly had the idea of putting some of my images on the clothing. So I started out making the headpieces for the runway, and there were no limits. But when I sent the first round to, to Tokyo, they were too heavy for the models to wear. Because I think a pair of shoes probably weighs about three pounds. And I was making headpieces out of 12 shoes, like big. <laughs> top hats and stuff. So eventually she got me to make them smaller and smaller and smaller so they could wear them. And uh, yeah, that was the first part of it, uh, as I said. And then the idea of putting some of my actual shoe sculptures on the clothing itself. Mm -hmm. So in her show that took place in Tokyo in January, it would have been in Paris, but the pandemic made it happen in Tokyo because that's where she was living, uh, or at least one of her residents at that time, which was, uh, I started with them in November. So the um, headpieces are now uh, uh, being produced by me, one man show, for all their, sh all their stores around the world. Uh, and my deadline is May to have it all completed. I got about 50 more to do. And uh, the clothing is being produced now. If you saw the show, you noticed that the, they wore T-shirts that had my shoe mask on the front of the T-shirt. But also, and this is her, I don't know if it's her idiosyncrasy or her style or her signature, but in the show, the models wore the jackets inside out. 
Mm. Because the pattern on the inside was all of my art. You oh, see, wow. the shit of that. So it was a good, a good, a good uh, synchronizing moment for me in my life. You know, like, especially after doing uh, hoodies and T-shirts a few months earlier, I was able to collaborate with another company for that, where they actually put my name on a label in the shirt. So everybody calls it Willie Cole's hoodie. So that kind of opened the door for that consciousness and awareness in me. So when I got the call from Comey Garçon, it just seemed like, you know, everything was lining up in that way. And, you know, if I got a call tomorrow from some other designer wanted me to design something, I wouldn't be surprised because that seems to be where, where I am energetically. Well, that's, that's an amazing story. Again, starting in high school in the 60s with your interest and then collaborating with a iconic uh, designer. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, I never thought of it like that until we spoke the other day. I think yeah. I'm sort of focused on just continuing. You know, mid-career art is a strange term. Mid-career is like you're in the ocean with no boat, <laughs> no lifeguards, you know, just got to keep stroking. Sure. When you're young, everybody's holding you up, pushing you forward. But once they get you in the ocean and you're mid-career, they all go back to the show and look for the next young artist. Right. So you got to keep stroking. So that's, that's pretty much how I, how I proceed each day is, you know, I'm the driver. You know, I'm the navigator. I'm the boat. You know, I'm the motor. I got to do it. Just do it. Right. Well, you've been, you've been doing in, incredibly well. And this new area of fashion, again, you are collected uh, globally. I mean, your your work is all over the world, whether it's uh, sculpture, whether it's prints, whether it's now fashion. Yeah, now uh, I'll be in every closet, every closet across the world. <laughs> absolutely. Now, the headpieces, as you said, are all made by you. They're all handmade. Mm-hmm. Um, are they signed? Uh, they were not signed initially. Uh, but that is a question we're dealing with now because I've gotten people asking me if they're for sale. So now my dealer in New York and the Como de Gasson people are discussing how we're going to handle that. Right. So they have to return all of these headpieces back to you because they don't own the headpieces. They were just used for... Right. Well, they don't own the headpieces and... I did not focus on the headpieces as being returned to me initially. So it's an option that I have. Um, but my gallery is involved in it. So that kind of makes it like, you know, return, resell kind of thing. Great, great. Well, um, I'm going to start saving up for one of those headpieces. <laughs> yeah, I have one your size. <laughs> Very good, great. Um, I just want to let the audience know that there are a couple of photographs of this collection and Willie's artwork on our website, what's com, And for a look at the entire Comde Garçon collection, men's collection that Willie is involved with, go to Willie's website at williecole.com. And you, and you mentioned Amiri Baraka, which, who was another hero of mine. Uh, in his earlier uh, career as um, Leroy Jones. Right, right. And uh, it so happened that he went to camp with my dad, who grew up in Newark. Um, 
And, you know, they went to day camp together. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember in college discovering Leroy Jones's plays and his writing was just so um, incredible, so powerful. So this idea of when you talked about the evolution of, of, um, of Newark or the evolution of how art is made or how art is found, you know, the, 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 the pieces for art, your, um, for your practice, this evolution, we've witnessed the evolution of a great artist, Leroy Jones, mm-hmm. into Amiri Baraka. He literally, as you said, not for the just the, the third step to the Imamu Amiri Baraka. Imamu. Third step, Imamu. Imamu. <laughs> so this idea of evolution is, is fascinating because Newark being one of the oldest cities in the country, went through a lot of evolution. And you and I were there at a very specific time when, as you said, we went from being Negroes to wearing Afros to saying right on and taking on the man. And uh, very exciting time. So this idea of your saying you were inspired to try your hand at creative writing. Mm -hmm. Did any of your plays get produced? Or did you? Well, they did. Uh, In high school, a couple of got produced. Mm-hmm. Actually, in high school, I have the the claim or the fame of having started the theater club. And I started that club because I was writing plays. Wow. <laughs> it seemed that in, I, who was president in the 70s? But whoever it was, they created this, this uh, model cities program. Mm-hmm. And I would go to Rutgers University on Thursdays after I left Arts High, and I would take creative dance, playwriting, and acting. So that really got me tuned into to theater stuff. So I started the club at school for that purpose. And we did two of my plays while I was there. Do you remember after, the titles of those plays? Um, one I know was called My Ticket. It was about migration from the South to the North. Okay. And the other one was called, uh, I can't remember the title, but I know it's in the yearbook. There's a picture of us performing it in the yearbook. What year, uh, in your year was what, 72? We got out of 72, but this image might be in the 71 yearbook. Mm-hmm. Great. So yeah, and then of course, later on, when I went to college at Boston University, I had a uh, couple plays produced there. And I'm actually now wanting to get back into doing that more. I mean, the pandemic has kind of made me focus on life can end any minute now. These things are still on my list, even though my ego or my sense of self will tell me, no, no, it's not ready. No, it's not good enough. <laughs> I should abandon that completely Absolutely. and let my desire to see it in the world be the driving force. You know, like they say, opportunity can knock, but you got to open the door. And when you open the door, you're ready in the moment the door opens. You, know? yeah. you might just have one sock on, but the door's open. Walk you're in. ready for that opportunity, <laughs> right? Right, right. Great. So I've got lots of uh, things I've written here, uh, you know, mostly screenplays in the past 15 years. But um, I still, still get very involved in writing. Great, great. Growing up in Newark. Absolutely. 
You were talking about knowing the great people that went to Arts High School and how that gave you the the confidence to dare to be great. Who were some? Do you remember some of those people? Yes. Well, the challenge is that when I was a student there, I didn't have the awareness I have now. Uh, when I was a student there, I heard that, um, of course, Melba Moore was the big star when I was a student there. She came back to school to visit. One of our alums. Yeah, so that was inspiring. Uh, and I'd heard about, uh, I think, either Woody Shaw or Woody Herman going there when I was a student there. But I think my comment has to do more with what I learned after I got out of school. Mm-hmm. And if I had known that when I was in school, man, it would have blown my mind. It's so funny how that happens. Like, yeah. I know you're editing this, so I'm just going to talk. But yesterday, I was sharing, you know, with with my uh, fiance about this brother who was a telescope designer for NASA who died recently. And his last name was Carruthers. And this brother was a genius, and I never heard of him. And I went through the whole American school system, high school, college, and preschool, had black history probably from like 1967 forward. But nobody told me that this telescope that allows us to see images on Mars and to detect and read interstellar blah, 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 was designed and created by a black man. So... So it's the same thing with the arts. If I had known that Wayne Shorter went to Arts High, I wouldn't have dropped out of the music department. I would have been inspired to stay. <laughs> Even though I was playing the tuba and I didn't want to play the tuba, I would have stuck with it because I knew Wayne went through the same program. Right. I would, I would imagine that students who are at arts following you and knowing of your, of your fame use you as a, sort of an inspiration. Well, I hope they do because I, you know, I often wonder what is my purpose in life. Sometimes I think I know, sometimes I don't. But the thing that is always consistent is that my presence here is to inform and inspire others to you know, stay focused, to exercise creativity and to just be positive and peaceful. Right. What, what were some of your favorite uh, cultural spots in Newark? Because there were so many. Um, Yes. uh, Well, I don't know. You're talking about any particular era. (laughs) I remember I've been here for many years. Yeah. Anytime past or present, what were the cultural places destinations that sort of help you? Okay, well, this is like a throwback question. So I would say in high school, I was not like a a very uh, gregarious person in high school. I think I went to one party the whole time I was in high school. And I was probably went because my friends kept teasing me about not going to parties. <laughs> but I went to a party at the Leaguers in Newark. My sister would go every weekend. Oh, in the weekweg section, yeah. So that was my high school uh, experience with the social scene. 
But like I said, I only, I only did it once. I went to one party at the high school during my four years there. Um, oh, I I used to go to uh, Freddie Roach's place. Freddie Roach wrote a play called Soul Pieces back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how I met him, but he had access and actually lived in one of the mansions. Maybe it was the Ballantyne House or one of the mansions on High Street. And uh, he hired me as his, as his assistant just to help him get organized in the mansion. So that was, that was a great experience for me. Yeah, that mansion, that Valentine Mansion, is now being repurposed as a art uh, makerspace and a possibly studio space and possibly a living space right now oh, nice. under um, under the current mayor, the son of. Oh, the building's owned by the city. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I remember. I'm sure you did too. All of the different beer factories in Newark. Oh yeah, yeah. My dad worked at one of them. So did my dad. Which one, which one did your dad work in? I think he worked at Budweiser. Okay. Down, down in Neck. Yeah. yeah. Great, great. But, um, yeah, so, so you know, in, I, I would go to the YMCA as a kid also in Newark a lot. But as, as I got older, like in college, when I came back from Boston, I would go to Sparky J's, the jazz club. Mm-hmm. Was it on William Street? I actually jammed there once. I uh, played the flute on the bandstand. I saw Rossan Roland Kirk play there. Wow. So I would hang out there. Yeah. There's another, another club called Club Kayam that I think was on South Orange Avenue. And I was part of a group of artists. I forget we called ourselves. But our thing was to go to these popular places and offer our services as portrait artists. <laughs> We're sitting in this, this bar environment, low light, doing portraits of anybody who would be willing to pay us or allow us to get a portrait. Wow. Mostly we ended up drawing each other, but we had a good time. Great. So you were drawing uh, on the within Newark. What, what about the you, – you have a really significant um, piece – or probably more than one at the uh, Newark Museum uh, that's based on your fairly current practice of shoes, but you have this awesome statue. And um, so I want to ask you, um, I mean, I, I worked at the Newark library. I went to the Newark museum uh, while I was in college. You worked at the library? I worked. Okay. Which department? Children's department. I started out at the Springfield branch working under Mr. Graves. Did you know Mr. Graves? No, no. Mr. Graves might still be alive because he was so, he was like little Richard, the hair and everything, but Mm -hmm. he was a head librarian. And I, my first library experience as a little kid, like maybe seven years old, because I lived in that neighborhood. I went to that library and, you know, I met him at seven years old. And then when I was a freshman in high school, I got a job at that library. Now, this is the library. Later on, I think in my senior year, I worked at the main library downtown Newark in the children's department. That's where that's, I worked in the art department at the main branch. Wow. And, uh, you know, again, this idea that you had this incredible building with these murals and art all over and 
I just thought it was like, you know, the, the coolest thing in the world. Um, so that was my introduction to a lot of the, um, you know, the art books and the art section there. Mm -hmm. But the building itself to me was a, just an amazing building. It was like being in a, a castle. And, uh, and so, so uh, what about the Newark Museum? What, what has been your um, experience, either past or present, with the Newark well, Museum? Well, I would, I would probably go there weekly as a kid because I was going to art classes at Arts High on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. And then from there, I would go to the museum. Wow. And I don't know what age I started at, but I was definitely not in middle school when I started doing that. I also took classes at the museum as a little kid. In the junior museum, I took puppet making. Wow. <laughs> so, Do you know, every, every Saturday, my mom would take us out to things like that. Uh, I wish we had photos of those days because the day would usually end with us sitting in front of the courthouse, me on Abraham Lincoln's lap. Absolutely, yeah. A donut. <laughs> then we would buy at Woolworths those hot Delicious glazed donuts they had back then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So again, the idea that you had a world-class museum in town that you went to on weekdays, weekends, you had a world-class um, library that you worked in. Right, right. And you, I remember they had they had a this big Nimba statue. I I forget what country the Nimba's from. But that's what they had on the first floor when they walked in. And uh, I never forgot that that piece of African art really inspired me as a kid. Right. What What is the name of the uh, piece that you have in the Newark Museum, the seated? Uh, uh, the Soul Sitter. The Soul Sitter. Yes. And uh, have you brought your kids or grandchildren? Have they had the opportunity to see that, that piece of yours? Uh, yes, when the museum first acquired it, they I had an interview on stage with Krista Clark. Mm -hmm. So my my family was there for that. Wow. So uh, you are are of Newark, and uh, the the these destinations that I talked about, these cultural destinations, mm -hmm. have been very important in your uh, in your life and in your practice. Definitely. What was what? What did your mom say when you got the uh, that huge, incredibly beautiful piece, a uh, soul sitter, installed in the museum? What was her response? Um, I can't tell you exactly what it was, but her response. <laughs> my mom is like, her character is one that would work well on a reality TV show because mm -hmm. she's very expressive. So she says things like, boy, I don't know where I got you from. <laughs> that's a compliment. I've heard those that comment. I don't know what I'm going to do with you, mister. <laughs> but then she also says, I am so proud. <laughs> so, so she probably said one of those three. Absolutely. Well, I'm sure she you heard that a lot growing up from your mom. Yeah, yeah, I got, uh, you know, I, I was the little artist in the family, so I was introduced as the little artist quite often. 
the last thing I wanted to talk to you about, because um, you had mentioned the fact that your family is, um, uh, dis- uh, one part of your family is descended from uh, Cuba. Right. And you and I met in Cuba um, a couple of years ago right, right. for a very um, significant um, event, um, African-American art. Yeah, curated by Ben Jones. Curated by another Jersey fellow, Jersey City fellow. And I remember, um, and, and, and you didn't share with me at that time that you had um, ancestral um, beginnings in, uh, in Cuba. What did it feel like being there um, for the first time, I would imagine? Right. Well, I really was wanting more feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a strong belief in uh, psychic ability and, you know, vibrations in the air. And I expected to sense something. But I didn't get to explore like I wanted to because of restrictions. I mean, mm-hmm. some of my travel mates, your tour was better than mine, I think. Some of my travel mates got arrested because they broke from the pack and went to the beach. Ah. I didn't know so to stay like in our hotel and just do our events. Um, so I didn't feel I, I thought I'd be able to go there and do some research, but I wasn't able to do that. I have to make another trip for that. But it was great to see all those quote unquote people of color there mm-hmm. and see people who look like family members there. Cause I'm like uh, five or six generations removed. It was my great, my great grandfather on my father's side who spoke fluent Spanish. So I'm, you know, five generations moved from, from the Cuba part of my line, but it was beautiful. It's a beautiful place. And I do plan to go back. Absolutely. I, I, I was knocked out. That was probably um, the first place that I felt I was getting closer to my roots. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, so you haven't been to Brazil. I have been to Brazil. There's some roots oh, there, man, for sure. But I've also been to Ghana. Tijuana? No, Ghana. Oh, Ghana. Okay. Yes. So I, I, li- I literally brought some sand back from mm-hmm. Ghana, and I've uh, sort of adopted it as my ancestral home. Yeah. Our, my, uh, my oldest daughter uh, did a DNA, and part of the family is indeed from that part of Africa. So. Nice. I, I finally got to read 23 and me. You did? No, I didn't do it. My, my, my oldest. Daughter. I did 23 and me and it confirmed what I've been hearing from all of my African friends in the arts for years is that, uh, that I look like I'm an Igbo. Ah, okay. Come, you come from the Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Well, Willie, I'd, I'd like to, um, I've been sort of hashtagging a couple of different things about art. One of them is, I say that art educates. I said that art inspires. Mm -hmm. And I also say that art changes minds. What, of those three, what sort of, does does any of that resonate with you as far as your your feeling? It all makes sense, of course. Art definitely educates. Uh, Art inspires, art changes minds. So to me, art educates inspiring changes mind are almost all saying the same thing because those three things are part of the same process of learning. Mm-hmm. 
you know, um, you want me to elaborate more? <laughs> I will. No, I, I, if you want to, that would be great. To me, life inspires. Mm-hmm. And but well, I guess art is life because life educates, life changes your mind. So art equals life. Okay, you see, my recent work is like for the fashion world. Absolutely, and that's going to be there, there. Goes that evolution again. That's going to keep. That's going on until the summer. Right. And they've got me. I got such a list of things they want me to do for them. Keep me right. going right through the summer. But a nice virus survival. <laughs> well. What did they talk about? How art inter- intersects the intersection of art within the arts, and uh, it's it's all it's all of one. Yeah, I am starting to think that anything that can be seen can be called art, mm-hmm. because you know, art is like I don't have all the parts in order, but art is almost like you're in the kitchen. The pot's on the stove. You put the stuff in the pot. And what comes out, I don't know, maybe what comes out is knowledge and awareness. Okay. Maybe the ingredients in the pot are the art. You know, <laughs> But somehow there's a metaphor in there somewhere. where So anything that you can see is art. I agree. It's everything we the world. We, I mean, we hear the world, we smell the world, we perceive the world, and the 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 uh, say the substance or things that we see have been made or designed by somebody. So therefore, everything we see is art. I agree. It's it's the result of a process. Yeah. Yeah. It's a result of a process. So you're right. Uh, Willie Cole, thank you. Thank you, Roger Tucker. (laughs) And you have a great weekend. See you soon. Adios. Thanks to Willie Cole for sharing how the cultural impact of Newark has shaped his life and work. Tune in next time for another conversation with our guest who will share their Newark, New Jersey cultural journey. If you'd like to share your Newark, New Jersey story, go to our website and submit your unique journey on our contact page. Again, I'm your host, Roger Tucker. I look forward to sharing these fascinating Newark, New Jersey conversations with you sometime soon. So long and be well.